Welcome back to the Bristos Made a Baby podcast, season three, baby number three. I am your host, Becca. I am here with my lovely husband, Matt. We are together pretty much 24-7 between working, parenting, our two little girls, making our 1800s farmhouse our own. And trying to live our best, healthiest lives. We are so excited for this new season of life and to bring you guys along the journey for baby number three. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back. I am your host, Becca. I am flying solo here for just a moment because I actually have a really incredible guest on the podcast today that I am so excited for you guys to just listen to this interview because it is, I think, gold if you are planning on a hospital birth. It just has some really good insight. We will get to that in just a minute, but before we jump into that interview, I just wanted to update you guys on how I'm doing, how I'm feeling um, in, you know, this current stage of pregnancy, which is weeks 33 and 34. So I'm going to give you a little recap. So as far as symptoms go, not really anything new, Um, just some like ongoing, you know, pain and discomfort. It's not crazy, um, but just, you know, what I've been dealing with recently. So first off, the rib pain. Um, it's only ever on my right side and it's just this kind of achy, uncomfortable, just like kind of radiating pain. Um, it feels a lot of the times like there's literally just like a foot up there. That's just aggravating (laughs) that area. Obviously when you're pregnant, your ribs do start to like flare out obviously to make room for, all of the organs that are getting shoved up there um, as your body is making room for the baby. So maybe that plays into it, but it it never hurts on my left side. So I think it's a combination of, because sometimes I can literally, I can feel something up there. I'm just assuming it's a foot. Um, I can just tell that there's something there. Um, And it's typically always like the worst at the end of the day when I'm really like full after dinner and it's just like, there's just no room in there. So I'm always just kind of like stretching out, like trying to make space on that side, but it doesn't really help. Um, So it's just kind of is what it is until the baby comes out. It's not all the time though, luckily. It just seems to come and go and is typically worse towards the end of the day, which makes sense. Um, I've also had this kind of ongoing back pain, which has just been really annoying. (laughs) Um, It's not even like what like classic like oh lower back pain because you're like carrying a baby it's it's in my um and I've already shared this with you guys but it's in my like upper left shoulder and it just feels like I don't know that side of my body is just like really tight or something and and muscles are pulling and it's just it's just kind of like this pulling nagging really annoying pain um and it's still it's still ongoing and I did go to um, the chiropractor, we, I mean, we go to the chiropractor as a family, we go monthly just for adjustments. Um, cause that's something we like to do. And I, you know, told him about this pain and he was like, okay, yep. Got it. Um, and he was like, yeah, sometimes that happens. And, um, sometimes one adjustment will kind of like click everything back into place and it will go away. Sometimes it needs repetition. So he did do some extra work and like some extra cracking, um, at my shoulder and it immediately felt better. Um, but it, it did not make it like it it felt great for the rest of the day, but then slowly it started to return. So I definitely think it's, I don't know, 
um, some kind of muscular, I'm like really tight, tense. Maybe it's the way I'm sleeping every night um, to try and get comfortable. I don't know. Something's aggravating it. So that's been kind of ongoing, um, but I am now going to start going. I was planning on going every week after that appointment, but it just, we were trying to schedule it for the next week and schedule wise, it just didn't pan out. So um, going every other week, but then after that, I'll be like 36 weeks. So I will be for sure going every week. Um, I mean, I guess to help the back pain, but really, cause I want to make sure my body is like locked and loaded and my pelvis is in a good, um, you know, good alignment so that the baby can be in a good position to just help with a smooth birth, um, labor and birth. So definitely start going more often. Um, and this is just kind of like a funny, it's not really a symptom, but I have just wanted, I just want my belly free and out (laughs) all the time. Like I don't want like having shirts, especially like a tight shirt pulled over my belly is just, I just don't like the feeling of it. It's like, I mean, obviously if I'm out, like if I leave my house and I go out in public, I have a shirt on, (laughs) but at home I'm just wearing like tank tops and I just literally like pull them up. It's also hot out. It's like, it's getting hot outside. So maybe that has something to do with it. Um, but I will just like pull the tank top up and my belly is just like out and about if I'm just like kicking around the house. Um, and it just feels so good for it to be free and not have anything like pull down over it. I don't know. Um, just kind of something silly. So symptom wise, that's kind of all I really have to report. Um, as far as like ongoing stuff, just kind of, it's just kind of status quo at this point. Um, definitely feeling big and feeling uncomfortable, but overall, you know, like I'm, I'm hanging in there pretty well. I feel like my energy is pretty good and I don't have like too much to complain about. Um, just, you know, I'm carrying a pretty large, fairly large human in my abdomen. So all the discomforts that come along with that. Um, so as far as things that happened, um, during these weeks, so first off, probably the biggest thing to know is we did go down the beach. It was our first, um, weekend going down, um, I would say for the season, except this season, (laughs) normally we go down to the beach often in the summer. Um, but since we're expecting a baby at the beginning of July, we don't have very many plans to go down. So we figured we would go down for about like two weekends in the very beginning of the summer. And then after that, we would just be homebound, chilling. Um, so that, you know, if, if this baby comes at any time, we are not like, holy crap, we need to pack the car and get home. And it's like a two hour drive. That sounds awful. So <laughs> we will not be doing that. We're just going to stay home. And then towards the end of the summer, you know, once the babies were in a, getting in a groove and, you know, traveling to the beach doesn't sound super overwhelming. Um, we will probably go down again, but for the most part, we're going to be at home this summer. So we did want to get down, um, for a little bit. So we went down and it was supposed to be just like a beautiful, like summer weekend. Like it was going to be super hot at home, like in the nineties, which is crazy for May. That's not typical May weather where we live. And at the beach, it's always cooler. So it was going to be like high seventies and sunny at the beach, which is prime weather. So we were like, okay, we are definitely going down. We actually were not planning on going down this weekend originally, but we're like, we're going to take advantage of this because we'll be able to go on the beach and the girls will be able to get on the beach. And, you know, cause we're not going to have a whole lot of beach time this summer. So we decided to go down. Um, and it was great. We had so much fun. We got to go on the beach on Saturday and they were just loving life playing in the sand. They're both at, 
I feel like this is the first time in a while I haven't had like a baby baby on the beach. So normally I am just like parked in the shade holding the baby for the most part whenever we're on the beach. Um, but Hayden's three and a half and or almost not quite three and a half. And Hadley is a little over one. So she's walking around. So she, they were just playing in the sand. They were doing their thing. And I was like, this is so nice because we, me and Matt were literally both just like sitting back, hanging out. I mean, eventually they were, they were like, come play with us, you know, um, in the sand. But for a while we just got to sit there. So what ended up happening? (laughs) I literally got so fried. I have not been this burnt (laughs) literally since I was in high school and I was just like, not smart and would go out in the sun and like the very beginning of the season when like my skin hasn't seen the sun all winter and like not wear sunscreen and be out all day and like I've had like two really bad sunburns in my life that I can recall before this weekend but as if I was like a idiotic 16 year old I literally got that burnt again I cannot believe I still cannot believe this happened I feel so dumb so okay well first off it's my fault I did not wear sunscreen but here's the thing I, I always wear sunscreen on my face, no matter what face and neck, even like on a daily basis, I wear like a daily SPF cause I want to protect, you know, protect my face. Um, but I just, I hate the feeling of sunscreen. I just, I, it skeeves me out, especially going on the beach, even though like I grew up going to the beach, like I, when it, you have su- like slick sunscreen all over you and then you get sand on yourself. It's just, I hate that feeling. It makes me just angry. (laughs) So, and and I'm like running around chasing kids. So, um, well, actually I should say, no, actually normally I'm parked in the shade, like I said, with a baby. So, and I'm also like very, um, weary of the sun in general. I don't like to sit in the sun. I don't like to try and get a tan, like ask anyone. You'll usually find me in the shade. Um, but on this particular day, it was, just like it was like the perfect storm (laughs) because the kids were entertaining themselves so I could actually just like sit down um and it was the most perfect weather like the most perfect weather on the beach where it was very breezy so it felt cool to the point where if it was literally like five degrees colder we, we even said this when we were sitting on the beach, we were like, we would, we would have needed sweatshirts. Like it was, that was like, that was like the temperature situation. It was like just above needing a sweatshirt, but it was super sunny. So the warm sun on your skin, it just felt so good. And like I said, I normally don't sit out in the sun. I always sit in the shade, which is why I can get away with like not wearing a ton of sunscreen. And I never, I never, I don't even like really get tan much in the summer anymore. Like I can get tan, I can get very tan, but I just like don't because I don't like intentionally sit in the sun. Anyway, so I started off sitting in the sun because it just felt so good. And I only sat out there for probably like an hour and then I moved into the shade. But, you know, I haven't seen the sun all winter and it was just like pale skin, like right by the water, sun beating down. And I wasn't hot. I wasn't uncomfortable because it was cool and breezy, but like I was frying. (laughs) Oh my God. So it was just kind of the perfect storm of all these circumstances. And as we were leaving the beach, I was like, Ooh, I'm like looking a little pink, but that's when, you know, that is when, you know, like, Oh, this isn't good. And I actually like started to feel like a little panicky about it. Like when we were leaving the beach, I was like, Oh, I think, I think I may have like made a mistake here. Like, I think I may have 
spent a little too much time in the sun. (laughs) And by that night, oh my God, I was so fried. So it was like my shoulders, um, really my one shoulder was really bad. The other one was, was fine. It didn't even have like a distinct like tan or burn line on it, but the other shoulder did. It was sharp. Um, my, and then this is hilarious because I don't care and I just don't care. I had my, um, like, uh, what's it called? Compression stocking on, on the beach because like I need it. it. Like my veins hurt. And also if anyone has a problem with my stocking, I should just be like, listen, if I take this off, you're going to be even more horrified by what's underneath. So just deal with my stocking. But anyway, so I had the stocking on, on the beach. And, um, so that leg of course didn't get burnt. It was fully protected from the sun, but the other leg did get really burnt. So I have this like ridiculous one leg is fried. The other one is pale as a ghost. Um, and, but then the worst part was my belly got so burnt and it's just, it's so big and it's so tight. So it was so uncomfortable because, you know, when you, when you have like a really bad sunburn, like it hurts and my belly was just like the skin was stretched. Oh my God. It was just, it was very painful. Um, so I completely messed up totally irresponsibly fried myself on the beach and it took days truly to feel better and it was like the it was so bad that I actually um like the day after we got home was like the worst day and I literally couldn't sleep because I was in so much pain from the sunburn that I actually took Tylenol um which I I like I never hardly ever the last time I remember taking Tylenol was when I literally had um, a DVT, (laughs) like a massive blood clot up my whole leg. Cause that was incredibly painful. Um, and especially pregnant, I usually just don't take anything, but I was like, I'm literally not going to sleep. Like I will literally just lay here in excruciating pain. So I did actually like, that's how, you know, it was bad if I, if I took something. Um, but I only took like one or two doses, I think. So it wasn't anything like crazy, but anyway, tons, I was using like tons of oils and aloe and sprays and like all different kinds of stuff to try and like naturally soothe it. Um, you can't use peppermint on your belly when, um, you're super pregnant because it actually can make like peppermint oil because it actually can make the baby turn. And all I wanted to do was like spray, like make a spray with peppermint. It would be so cooling and feel so good on my belly, but I obviously was like not, (laughs) not about to like chance the baby turning over this stupid sunburn. So anyway, it was just a hot mess. I felt like I was felt, I was like so ashamed <laughs> like that I let this happen to myself. I couldn't believe that I did it because I'm literally like the girl who sits in the shade. It's like, how did this even happen to me? Like I'm smarter than this. Anyway, terrible burn. It finally peeled the whole thing. It's healed now, but will literally never do that to myself again. Um, so that was the bad burn. Um, literally like lobster, bright red, so bad. Anyway, so moving on from that, I'm done talking about the stupid sunburn. So um, other things that's just happening um, in these weeks, I still am super busy with my course, um, which launched, you know, a few weeks prior, but um, I still had so much work to do on the course, like while it was going, I purposely did that. Um, So just very much like head down every day, jumping right into work and 
just using my brain like to the max. (laughs) Um, But it's a really, it's been a very, very good distraction because normally this part of my pregnancy, like if I actually go back and listen to other podcast episodes or look at like, because I still have all the symptom lists from every week in my phone for all pregnancies. Um, This, this part, like 33 30, 32, 33, 34 weeks, this is where I start to get really impatient because I'm very pregnant. I'm like pretty close to the end, but I'm not close enough where I'm in this like home stretch, like full on birth prep, like this baby's going to be coming soon. I need to like make sure everything's ready where you have like all of this good stuff to focus on. Um, and it's like anticipation starting and it's exciting. You're not quite there yet. So there's like you're just in this weird limbo of like, I'm really pregnant, but like, I still have like kind of a ways to go. Um, that's usually where I start to like get very impatient and like start to like not lose it, but it's just, I just don't like that part of pregnancy. Cause I'm just like, okay, can we just like get like three weeks ahead so I can feel like I have some things to focus on to get ready for this baby. Um, but I was so busy during this whole section of pregnancy. So it's, it's actually been like a really awesome blessing. Um, so that just kept me super distracted and that will all like majority of the work that I'm doing on the course will wrap up right around 36 weeks. So it's kind of perfect timing. I can start to nest and get everything organized and do like all the baby laundry and pack my hospital bag and all that kind of fun stuff. I'm like purposely, even though I want to start doing it now, A, I literally don't have the time because I'm so busy with the course. Um, but B, I'm like purposely pushing that off a little longer, Um, because I don't want to be just like twiddling my thumbs at the end. I want some like fun stuff to be like focused on. So that's kind of perfect. Um, I did have an OB appointment. This was, I think my last appointment that's like two weeks apart. And then my next one, I'll start going every week. Um, nothing really to note here. Blood pressure was great. Baby was great. Heartbeat was great. Um, we did discuss, um, my starting on, heparin, which is the other blood thinning medication I'll be on during pregnancy. Um, I'm currently on something called Lovenox. I've told you guys this before. And then I'll switch to heparin at 36 weeks because it does not last in your system nearly as long. Um, Lovenox is like um, about 24 hours. Like you, you inject it every 24 hours. But my OB actually said that it can linger for even like up to 72 hours. She said like the most of the blood thinning is in that that first 24-hour period, but um, it can linger a little bit longer. Um, And obviously, if you go into labor, you know, it's not ideal to have your blood super thin when you're like pushing out a baby and there's obviously going to be bleeding that's happening. So... um, but with heparin, it only, it goes in and out of your system very quickly. It only lasts for 12 hours. So the good point, the good part about that is less chance my blood's going to be thinned when I'm giving birth. But the bad part about that is I have to now inject twice a day instead of once a day. Um, but it is, is what it is. And then also they can counteract it with like another IV. I think they said it was just vitamin K, but then I don't know, it might be another medication. I'm honestly not sure. So in the event that there is some like more than average bleeding or a hemorrhaging situation because the um, heparin is in my system, they can counteract the blood clotting effect with something else where they can't do that with Lovenox. So it's basically just a much safer drug to be on from a blood thinning perspective when you're going to have um, your baby. So they start you on that at 36 weeks. And they did tell me that it can sometimes be, so just a heads up to any moms who have to 
do this as well because I didn't know this. Um, they said it, it can be sometimes like a pain to get it prescribed and just like a lot of times they've had moms who've had to just like jump through hoops to get it. Like Lovenox, it was literally just like, here's a prescription, go pick it up. But did it like super easy. But they were like a lot of times with heparin, it just, there's like snags and it's just annoying. So she was like, let's start it now. Like, let's get it prescribed now. So had to call my hematologist and then they sent the script over and it, it, it did, it wasn't as straightforward. Um, I had to call my, ins- like it wasn't going to be covered by insurance. I had to call them and then they had to send like an authorization thing. And then I had to call the hematologist again. And so what it was like a little bit of a thing. So just keep that in mind if you are going to have to go on heparin, um, like I am. Um, and then lastly, I, met with my doula in person for the first time, which was super exciting. Her name is Carrie and I actually found her, um, through Instagram. So if you are trying to find a doula in your area, don't forget that you can totally use Instagram as like a search engine. Um, I actually just put out on my stories, like, does anyone know any doulas in my area that they would recommend? And I got a bunch of responses. Um, people actually recommended Carrie to me, but Carrie also reached out and said, I'm a doula. And like, I'm available around your due date, you know, if you wanted to talk. And she is awesome. So excited to have her. I've never had a doula before. This will be my first time. Um, Personally, like when I was giving birth in a birth center and the last time I was planning a home birth, um, not that there's like no point in having a doula, like absolutely not. They offer an incredible service (laughs) um, for labor and delivery. And then you can even hire them postpartum as well. But for me, I really wanted to hire a doula less for the um, support aspect, like leading up to birth and during labor, which I am excited to have that though. Like that is a perk for sure. But I more so wanted to just have like another person in the room who's kind of like an advocate for me um, because I've never planned a hospital birth before. And I'm obviously planning on having a natural um, or I should say unmedicated birth free from as many interventions as possible, um, which in a hospital interventions are kind of the standard of care. You can certainly have a birth in a hospital that doesn't have very much intervention, but that is the, that is like the norm. Like you come in, um, you know, you get your IV, which I'm fine with. Um, I'm planning to get, um, like a, I hope I can just get like a saline lock. So I'm not actually attached to anything, but, um, totally fine with that. You know, that doesn't bother me because it is nice to have access. God forbid, especially with the blood thinning situation. I don't even think they would like, I mean, of course I can deny anything cause it's my body, but anyway, whatever. But you get the IV and then, you know, um, they may just kind of like recommend Pitocin. Um, if you get an epidural, you're probably going to have Pitocin. Like interventions are just kind of like the standard in a hospital. Um, but that's not what I want. So I just want to have an extra person there to kind of help me through that versus if you're having a birth center birth or a home birth, a lot of their standard of care more so matches up with my desires. Um, so I wasn't really concerned about having to advocate for myself or like say no to certain things because they, that's just like what they already do. So I was like very much at home with those, um, situations, but hospital is a little bit different. And I've, um, since I'm 
know for sure I'm having a hospital birth this time around. I'm planning for it. I just really wanted that extra layer of support um, there with us um, for the birth. So super, super excited to have her um, with us. She is so sweet. And um, she came over to my house and we just chatted all about the birth and like my desires and um, just different, um, you know, things that I want to accept or decline or, you know, just so she knows kind of like where I'm at. Um, and I'm just super, super excited to have her as my doula. Okay. So moving on, let's talk about, um, who I'm going to be interviewing today. I am so excited for you guys to hear from her. Um, it was a longer interview, but everything, like I learned a lot from her and especially if you are a first time mom, planning a hospital birth. This is like a must listen because she shared such great insight. So Lily, um, also known as labor nurse Lily um, on Instagram, she is a L&D nurse um, and she's also a doula, which I think is really cool. So she kind of has both perspectives, this like very much clinical medical perspective as an RN. And then she's got this more holistic um, perspective as a you know certified doula. But I wanted to have, I really, really wanted to have a labor and delivery nurse on the podcast just to kind of pick their brain because all the moms out there know, um, and even if you are not a mom, like, you know, you're expecting your first baby and you haven't gone through this yet, you probably know that it's very important to spend some time picking your birth team. So whether that's um, an OB or a midwife, um, choosing where you want to birth, Who's going to be with it, you know there with you at the at the birth? Is it a spouse, partner? Is there family members? Like who is there? Is there a doula? You spent a lot of time kind of assembling this dream team, picking the right doctor or midwife that you vibe with, um, choosing a doula or not. Um, you know, is is your mom going to be there at the birth? Like these kinds of things. So you spend a lot of time making these decisions. But if you are planning to birth in a hospital. There is this one huge key person that's going to be part of your birth, a big part of your birth, but you don't get to pick them. And that is your L&D nurse. So I have experienced birth center birth and hospital birth. And I can tell you with the birth center birth, there was a nurse there the whole time and she was great. She was really sweet, but at least, you know, birth centers in general, but you know, definitely the one I can attest that I went to, it's very hands-off. Um, and that's, that's why I, I liked it. Um, and so she was literally like, she was in the room the whole time. I don't even like really remember her being there very much other than, um, she would, you know, check the baby's heartbeat here and there. And she literally said like, I'm going to be sitting over here in this chair. If you need me, I will be ready to jump right in. If you don't want me, like you don't need me, <laughs> like you got this, you're birthing your baby, you're doing your thing. So, you know, she was at the ready to jump in and help as much as I wanted her to, but she was also willing to just sit back and like do, um, next to nothing outside of like the baseline monitoring, um, which I actually really like, but at the same time in, um, I've had a really good experience with nurses in the hospital as well with my second daughter, you know, they were angels truly, and they play a much bigger role, um, at least in my experience they're just much more heavily involved. You are, um, they, you know, you're just talking to them a lot more. Um, they're doing typically more monitoring than, um, what I experienced in the birth center. And they were, they were just much more a part of my birth. Um, like I, re I just remember them a lot more. We kind of bonded, um, and labor and delivery nurses are just, they're truly 
angels. Like I feel like if you ask anyone, um, of course, I'm sure with any profession, you'll hear stories of bad apples out there. But for the most part, all the stories I hear, everyone is just like in love with their nurse and they don't want them to leave. Like when there's, if there's a shift change or something, cause you do get very attached. This is such a big point in your life and they are such incredible, um, support persons. I mean, obviously they're not like doulas. They're not, you know, um, their job is not to be your support person. Their job is to be your nurse and to take care of you. Um, but you will find that they are, they just become a really big part of your birth. So obviously you don't get to pick them, but I thought it'd be really cool to have an L&D nurse on so that anyone planning a hospital birth, um, especially if this is your first time, or even if it's not, cause I learned a lot from her, um, you can kind of know what to expect, um, go in with the right expectations of what they can provide for you. Um, and just some insight from someone who literally their job is to be there and help, um, women and care for women who are going through birth, um, in the hospital setting. Cause this is their job. Like this is what they do all day. So, I knew that she would have some incredible insight to share with everyone and she sure did. So, Without further ado, I'm going to stop yapping so that you can actually hear from Lily. Let's jump on over to the interview. All right, guys. I'm so excited. I have Lily here and I am so excited for you guys to hear from her and meet her. She is a labor and delivery nurse, but she's also a doula as well, which I think is just the most, the coolest, most unique combination. And I feel like she brings such an interesting, uh, you know, perspective to, labor and delivery. And she's all about empowering mom. She's got her own podcast, which we'll talk about. Um, so I just wanted to introduce you guys to Lily. First, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, well, I'm Lily, also known as labor nurse Lily on Instagram. Um, I am a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for over six years now. I have experience in both pediatrics uh, and in labor and delivery. So pretty much babies. Babies have always been my thing. Um, before I was a nurse, when I became a nurse, um, after I had three kids of my own, um, I became even more passionate about empowering women through the labor process. Um, you know, at work, I noticed the thing that I noticed the most is really how uneducated some women can be uh, towards a very complicated process, which I hate to use that word too complicated because, you know, labor is such a natural thing. But unfortunately, some of these things like are complex, you know, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of women just walk into it very like, okay, it is what it is, which is a great <laughs> mindset to have in theory. But I think that a lot of birth, um, a lot of a lot of uh, making empowered dis- like empowered decisions uh, comes from being educated, um, and right. that's where a lot of people may fall, you know, um, short on. So my job is to basically educate my patients. It's my job is to tell them everything that is about to happen, the things mm-hmm. that they can say yes to, no to, what they shouldn't say yes to or no to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm their resource as far as, you know, why is this happening? What's happening? Um, uh, my job entails a lot. I am an emotional support person as well. Uh-huh. And like you said, I'm having my dual certification does help a little bit um, more than just being a labor nurse because as a labor nurse, you're very focused on the medical aspect of what's going on in birth, especially in a hospital setting. Uh, birth centers can be a little different. Uh, home setting, definitely much more differently. But in a hospital setting, you're definitely, as a nurse, worried much more about the medical aspect of birth. Um, mm-hmm. But as a doula, 
I also get to engage with my patients in a different way because um, not just from personal experience, but I, I think I've seen at this point over, I want to say like 300 births. Like wow. I mean, we, we do a lot. Like my hospital is a very, very busy hospital, high acuity hospital. So I also see a lot of like the scary stuff, yeah. Um, which I've talked about before in my podcast too, can make you a little jaded towards the natural part, part of birth, you know, like right. um, those nurses that you can sometimes have that are like, no, I need to monitor. No, I have to do this. No, we have to do um, an IV or whatever. They, um, I empathize with them because they do have their reasons. Like we do see a lot of scary stuff. Um, and sometimes we can get a little jaded towards, like I said, the natural part of birth, but being a doula kind of helps me in tune, um, and bring those two together. So I can have sort of a holistic approach to being a labor nurse in a hospital. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point because I feel like, especially coming from the like natural birth world, um, you know, I've always wanted to have like an unmedicated birth. I would love to have a home birth, but for medical reasons, I cannot. So I'm in a hospital and that's fine. Um, but you know, when you're, when you're coming from this, the natural realm, and then you go into a, like, you're going into a hospital setting. I feel like a lot of times the advice is just like, you know, you really have to like fight and advocate and you're swimming upstream and they're going to be against you. And it's, which in some cases is totally true, but then other cases it's not. And I feel like that is, it's good to have that reminder, like, you know, doctors and nurses, like they're not against you, but they may have had experiences where, you know, makes them a little like gun shy or afraid and, you know, maybe don't fully trust because they have seen some, some stuff, you know, exactly. so to keep no, that in mind. For sure. We're, I call it like that little like bubble, like a little echo chamber of like everything that can happen in birth so of course you know like even though certain things are one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand we are sometimes there for those instances so when people are refusing certain things we're like whoa hang on because the things that i've seen like we do not want to go there like is it a high possibility maybe not but just in case that that something happens like we like to be prepared so that definitely is where that comes from um but i do agree that as medical professionals, we could kind of be a little less, um, how do I say this? Not so rude <laughs> to the patient. Like let's, right. let's get down to their level for a second. Cause like yep. I said, for us, we're surrounded by it. We see it every day. These people are only doing it once, twice, three times. And we're crazy. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so they, they are not where we are. So we do have mm-hmm. to take a step back and say, Hey, I get you. I see you. I hear what you're saying. Listen to me and we'll come to a mutual decision. You know what I mean? And I love doing that with my patients. I love being like, Hey, tell me why you feel the way you do, why you don't want this. I'll tell you why I think that we can meet here instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, one extreme or the other. And you tell me if that's okay with you, because at the end of the day, it's going to be your choice. At the end of the day, I cannot force you to do anything as much as my experience might dictate, you know, might tell me to do otherwise my, you know, my degree might tell me to do otherwise my, whatever it may be like at the end of the day, I can't force you. I can't, I can't do anything that you don't want to do. So I want you to make informed choices. I don't want you to get some information from the internet, come here and be like, I want to refuse this. And then we'd be like, you know, like we have to meet halfway. I, right. I definitely think that that's important. Yeah, no. And I think that's great. And I think having that perspective is so important. Um, so I want to, I'm curious. So, I mean, obviously you've talked about 
educating your patients and kind of being emotional support, being there for, you know, to give medical information, to help them make decisions and all of that. It's a huge part of your job, but just for anyone listening, especially like a mom who is maybe a first time mom and she's planning her upcoming birth or, you know, thinking about her upcoming birth and she's going to be in a hospital. So when she gets there, like what, as an LD nurse, like what is, what's like your scope of practice? Like somebody comes in and from the time that they're, you know, admitted because they're in active labor to the time that they go to the postpartum floor, like what are like the, the basics of like what you're in charge of, I guess, as far as their care. So what does it look like? All right. So <laughs> let's say you, so in my hospital, I'll speak to my experience. Okay. My hospital, say you come in active labor, um, your nurses are the ones that do see you in triage. So we will be usually the ones that determine, um, okay, are you in active labor? Do we need to call a doctor right now? We have hospitalists in our hospital, okay. um, which means basically a doctor that is there all the time. So your doctor, your OB, for the most part, will not be in a hospital while you're in labor because you can be in labor for days, mm-hmm. um, hours at a time. They are not there some hospitals do not have hospitalists. So there is no doctor there. It's just nurses. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're definitely prepared for the worst. Yeah. <laughs> um, the hospital I work at does have hospitalists. So the hospitals, what the hospitals will do is come in um, when a patient comes in and then they'll, they'll see, okay, let's, let's do a cervical exam to see if you are more than four, um, four centimeters dilated, or let's look at your contraction pattern on the monitor. Um, we'll kind of do like a little assessment. So if you're in active labor, you're in active labor, you get admitted for the most part, that means an IV in your arm. Um, the most important reason that we need an IV in your arm is in case of an emergency, we, and we have to take you back to do a C-section. If there's no time, um, to do a spinal, which is how we numb you for C-sections, um, you're going to have to go under general anesthesia. Right. What's the first thing you need for general anesthesia is an IV access. Um, that we're going to have, you know, um, airway access. It's all those things you have to think, you know, not, you don't have to think worst case scenario, but for, if you don't want an IV, you know, you don't want to be tied down to an IV say, Hey, can I have an IV, but no fluids running through it? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just what like a, he- a HEP block, right? Is that what they call that? It's- a saline lock. Yeah. Okay. So, saline lock. Uh, it's just in place. Like we have access. That's what I love to tell my patients. And I know I'm going off a little bit, um, you know, to the side, but no, um, no, that's fine. I, I do love to tell my patients like, Hey, I, cause a lot of people will not want IVs and I'm like, why not? And they're like, I don't want to be tied down. I'm like, I hear you. I do. Let's meet halfway. Can I put it, you know, have it taped, have it sealed. If I need it, we use it. If we don't, we don't. Right. Um, for the most part, I haven't had anyone say no at that point. Like, yeah, sure. You know, it's, it's in case that we need it, it's there. Um, so yeah, Ivy will monitor the baby, see how baby's doing, how it's tolerating the contractions. Um, and then, yeah, we'll move you down to a labor room. You'll get your labor nurse, which is usually when I come in and I do my whole little introduction, like, hi, you know, like my name is Lily. I'm going to be doing this, this. Um, for the most part in my hospital, um, we, I don't see a lot of unmedicated births. Um, I have seen plenty. I have seen, I would say about like 20 unmedicated births, if not more, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, but still our bread and butter is epidurals. Like, and that's just 
I mean, Miami, I don't know how else to to you. (laughs) It's it's how it is here. We we don't really um, care for the, oh, sure. Let's, let's bring on the pain. No, it's like, maybe like nine out of 10 women get there. They're like my epidural now. Yeah. Yep. It's time. (laughs) So then I do a very, uh, I try to do a very good job of explaining everything that comes before an epidural, because that is the first roadblock that I noticed. Okay. Um, in as working in labor and delivery is they have no idea what one an epidural like entails what we need to do before an epidural what happens when you get your epidural what we can't do when we have an epidural like all these things are like oh i want an epidural and i'm like okay like do you know what we're doing no (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like oh boy so then (laughs) we start from the beginning um, we need your labs drawn. We need to know your platelets. Why do we need to know your platelets? We need to know if there's any risk of us putting a needle back there. Like we are essentially putting a needle where your cerebral spinal fluid, fluid goes. Like this is mm-hmm. not, you know, like just a regular procedure. This is a very um, invasive procedure. Yeah. So, so um, we do have to draw labs. You do have to get a liter of fluid IV first because epidurals can drop your blood pressure. Um, so we want to avoid the symptoms that that can cause because it can also affect baby. Your blood pressure right. dropping after an epidural also affects baby. I've seen it more than once where it causes so much issue t- towards baby that we end up in a C-section. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, minutes of being there, like, Hey, I want my epidural. Like you're doing good. You're doing great. Epidural boom, C-section mm. again, not saying that every epidural ends up in a C-section, but these are risks that come with having something like that. And these are risks that you should be considering when you're considering, um, uh, like pain relief options. Yep. Another thing that I might run into is instead of offering an epidural, somebody will be like, no, um, I think I'm going to try to do this without an epidural. And I go, all right, awesome. What are we using for pain relief? And I'm like, oi, (laughs) we need to prepare. We need to, you know, are we breathing? Are we doing uh, a certain kind of breathing? Are we meditating? Are we focusing on something? Are we, you know, like, what are we doing? Oh, nothing. We're just going to write this out. I'm like, oh, no, sis. There (laughs) will come a time where you will want an epidural. Like, (laughs) even if you decide to come into this process and say, I refuse an epidural, you are going to hit active labor and active labor will tell you, <laughs> get an epidural. <laughs> so you have to be instantly prepared for that. And people aren't, people right. aren't, we don't know that. Honestly, I can, I can relate as a first time mom. I didn't know all of this. I was a nurse at the time. I wasn't a labor nurse, but I wasn't a nurse and I didn't know all of this. I didn't prepare like the way I should have my first time. And so mm-hmm. that's what I try to avoid with you know, first time moms that I have this time around is just like, Hey, this is where that big gap of knowledge is going to affect this process for you and how you, um, see this entire, you know, process for yourself, how you're going to tell your birth story. All of this is going to affect it. Like, let me be here for you and let you know exactly what's happening, why it's happening so that you can understand it. You don't, you know, wake up and go, why did we do that? Like, why did that happen? Like, how did, how did that even happen? You know, cause unfortunately that is some people's experience. So yeah. Okay. Back to the, back to where we were. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, epidural, usually they'll get their epidural or they won't. Um, and then in 
my hospital, like I said, the way it works, it's just, we just kind of either will give them Pitocin until we get them to deliver uh, or break their water and try to make it really as fast as possible. Kind of like, all right, let's speed up this process. Um, and that's just typically how it goes. And then I'll, I'll, once we're, you know, completely dilated me as a labor nurse, what I'll do is throughout the labor process, which can last, you know, anywhere from minutes to hours to days mm -hmm. um when we do vaginal exams what I try to do um this is where I guess like more of the doula training comes in but like doula and labor nurse are kind of like merged together I took a spinning babies class um okay I want to say over a year ago already um and basically they teach us like how to do vaginal exams so when we're checking our cervix um, in a way where we can determine baby's position oh. so that we know how to position your pelvis in order to help baby. Cause it's not a one size fits all. It's not a, okay, baby, it, you know, every baby is in the birth canal and sure. we can just position this position and we get the baby out. Unfortunately, it's a very, um, I guess it comes it, like, it comes with skill. So you, but spinning babies does a really, really good job at teaching um, nurses so much about how to make physiological birth, you know, happen in a hospital. And so I try to do that with my patients. I'll try to do the vaginal exams, the, the positioning of the baby, the station of the baby, try to analyze all those things to know how to position them to be like, Hey, like I, you know, right now we can rest for the next two, three hours, but maybe in three hours we'll get up and we'll get on a peanut ball or we'll get on a yoga ball or depending where we are in the labor process, like I'll, I'll kind of guide them because unless you have a doula there with you, you're just kind of laying in bed in the hospital. Like right. nobody's going to tell you. A lot of your labor nurses will not care to do something for you. Um, if you haven't done the research yourself, like if you're not receptive to it, if you're not already like, Hey, can we try this? A lot of nurses won't try one because we don't know what you want. Mm -hmm. And another thing is we're, we're pretty busy. Like we do have a lot of charting to do. We have a lot of nursing tasks to do. So it's, it's hard to take time to just educate and to yep. just you know, um, do something that is a little bit more of the patient's responsibility also to kind of meet you halfway. Yep. Um, so I'll do that with my laboring patients. And then when the time comes, um, I always tell my patients too, like, you know, even if you're 10 centimeters dilated, like, I don't want you to think of that as the end goal. Like, I need you to feel that urge to push. Right. Like we need right. to be so low that you're going, I got to push. Yep. Why? less tearing, less pushing time, less chances of us having to use a vacuum. Like we're decreasing so much and providers won't necessarily tell you the same thing. They'll be like, all right, when you're 10 centimeters, let's go. You know? Um, so I try to tell them that on the side, kind of like, listen to me, like, you know, <laughs> I think this way it might seem like that, you know, like they're like, Hey, four o'clock, I want you 10 centimeters. And like patients are like, Oh my gosh, I got to die. I got to die. I'm like, listen to me. You can be 10 centimeters for hours. And I've had patients 10 centimeters for hours. Guess what? I need you to feel the urge to push. Epidural or no epidural, you're going to feel an urge to push. I've had three epidurals with all three babies. And I can vividly remember the moment where I said, oh, I got to push. Like, <laughs> oh, even with the epidural. Like, I right. know that that's 
that's there. And we, and that's the first thing I also tell patients when they get an epidural is this takes away pain, but it will never take away pressure. Right. Like you're going to feel pressure. You're going to feel me touching. You're going to feel movement, movement, but you, you know, the pain should decrease. So, so I do say that on the side. I'm, I'm very big on that. Like we need the urge to push. If your provider comes in here and says you're 10 centimeters dilated, let's start pushing. And you don't know, you, you don't have an urge and you have an epidural. We're going to be pushing for three hours. Like it's, it's just, it's just more often than not, that's how it works. So I do tell them that. Um, so, so I try to position. So in that situation, so if a mom's in that situation, you know, epidural or not, and she doesn't have the urge to push, but the doctor saying, okay, it's time. Can, I mean, at that point, I mean, obviously, you know, you can refuse anything technically w- would, that would be the time for you to say like, can I just have like a little bit more time? Cause I'm just feeling like, Absolutely. yeah, that that's Absolutely. when you speak up and say something, right? Absolutely. And it's hard for people to do that. Like right. it's, it's very hard because, you know, you look at your medical provider as this, like the person that's going to dictate how everything goes. And for the most part, they do it from their experience and their knowledge and that's okay. Right. But at the same time, you can be like, you know, the best way to do it is your provider comes in, your provider says, Hey, you're 10 centimeters dilated. Let's start pushing. You can always say, is it okay if we wait until I have the urge to push to push? They can be like, um, why? We can just start pushing now. At that point, you say, well, I would rather have the urge to push when we start pushing. What is your doctor going to say? You are going to your doctor. You're hiring your doctor. You're paying your doctor. You know, like they can, if if they give you any pushback, you can always say, you know, what, what is your reasoning? Like, why would you, why do you want me to start pushing now? Oh, baby's not doing good. I hear you. Let's start pushing now. You know, like that's, that's where it comes in. Like it has to be a team effort. It can't be a, oh, I say what I say goes from either end. Right. It can't be like that from the provider. And it can't be like that from the patient. Like I said, your provider comes in, I'm sitting here. Hey, can we wait? Actually, we can't wait. Look at baby's heart rate right now. Doesn't really look too good. I need you to start pushing. All right. We come to a mutual decision where my baby's health comes first. And that's what it is. And so many times, like we do as labor nurses, we do have a little bit of that, like, oh, that patient doesn't want anything kind of um, attitude. We can have that sometimes. Um, But at the same time, I've had many patients that have been like, I don't want Pitocin. I don't want this. I don't want that. And I'm like, okay, we'll cross that bridge. Like we will have this conversation again because we might need some of those things, but we don't have to talk about it now because we might not need them. Right. I've gotten to the point where I'm like, hey, I think we need to do this. I know you said no, but here are the benefits. These are the risks, but this is your situation. And they're like, all right, give it to me. And that's consent. Right. Exactly. That's it. Yep. (laughs) So this actually made me think of another question. So, you know, especially thinking from this collaborative standpoint where, you know, um, you want to make sure you're working with your care provider and you want your care provider to work with you and all of that birth plans. <laughs> so what is, cause I know I'm sure people come in with like nothing, like literally like la di da, I don't know what's going to happen. Or they come in with like pages long of a birth plan. So as a nurse, like, you know, because you are busy, right. Uh, but you also want to know where your patient's coming from so you can provide care. So what is like the ideal, somebody shows up with a birth plan. Um, like what, what's the ideal for you to be able to glance over and like, actually like take it seriously and not be like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? Like you're ridiculous. (laughs) So I will tell you, um, as far as 
making your birth plan, you should look at your hospital that you're delivering, look at their delivery policies, at what they do, ask your provider first, um, like in regards to, for example, like cord clamping. Um, mm. You can always ask them first because I will tell you in my hospital and the OBs that I work with, it is extremely routine to one, delay cord clamping. We're okay. going to do that every single time. Like I, that is part of my job. Part of my like delivery um, muscle memory thing is letting the provider know like when it's time to cut the cord because we're done with the delayed cord clamping. Like that's, okay. that's not, they don't, you know, unless baby's life is, you know, sure. like in danger, we're not cutting right away. We're delaying that cord clamping at least 30 seconds. If the mom goes, Hey, can we do another, you know, 30 seconds? Can we do it for a full minute? The doctor goes, as long as baby's okay we're good. Like that's something very standard. So for you to bring, like put something like that in a birth plan, when you're delivering at our hospital, it's kind of like, not silly, but we're just like, Oh, let me know. Like, sure. Like we're going to yeah. do that. Right. And, and maybe it's skin to skin, same thing. Like that's right. like, we're going to do that. Like it's, it's all these things that like, I like, I think that that's where I, I'm not one to look at a birth plan and be like, Ugh. but I work with a lot of people who are, are very prone to do it. And I get it from a nursing standpoint. I get it. Cause we're like, Oh, like we're doing this already. Like, it's okay. Like you, right. you don't have to remind us to, to yeah. do all the things that come with birth, but a lot of people don't know that that's how it works. A lot of people are like, no, I have to mention that I want, you know, the delayed cord clamping. I have to mention that I want skin to skin. I have to, and maybe in some hospitals, that's the case. So do your research on your hospital and do your research on your provider. A lot of providers are also, um, I work with a, a couple of providers that are like very, very big on no episiotomies. Like mm. they will cut like only as like a, I have to cut like, you know, like, yep. or else something bad is going to happen. Yep. Um, so like those providers, like, you know, if you reach out to them as a patient, even from the beginning of your pregnancy, like, Hey, what's your episiotomy rate? Or what's your C-section rate? Like you do all these things, like do your research. Like that's right. I know it sounds, I, it sounds a little repetitive and it sounds like nauseating, but it's like, do your research. If you do your research on your provider, on your delivering hospital, on your delivery policies on that floor, you have that knowledge where you can, you know, if your nurse says, oh, actually I can't do that. Well, your delivery policy actually says that you can, you know what I mean? Like you, you have that power in being knowledgeable in what you're doing and such an important thing. Yeah, no, that makes no sense. And, I, and this is just a logistical question. And I mean, obviously you can only speak to your hospital, but like, where do you, so a new mom is planning birth, you know, upcoming birth, where does she go to find like the actual policies, because at least I know in my situation, like I can talk to my OBs about this thing, the, all of these things ahead of time. Um, but there's only a small chance that they'll actually be there when I am delivering, um, just the way that the, it, this office works. So I could, you know, have some random doctor who has totally different, um, perspective, but obviously the policies are going to be similar. So like where, where would someone go to find like, that. The hospital website for sure. Hospital website. The okay. Hospital website should have it. Yes, definitely. Okay. Um, that's how it is. Like I said, for my hospital, um, I know that that's, you know, been my experience as far as looking up policies on other hospitals, you should be able to, I mean, that's, that's not something that's like top secret or anything. Right. right. Um, <laughs> so you should be able to, um, and again, like if you know the delivery hospital, um, like where you're delivering at least, like, even if it's not, um, that like a particular provider, you could always ask them like, Hey, do you have access to the policies or do you know what the policies are? Have that conversation 
communication too. Like just have it be an open communication where it's like, you're going to go into that date understanding like what to expect, what you're going to be told no to if you want, you know, like right. kind of mentally prepare yourself because you can say, oh, this is what I want. You go in there and you're like, this is what I want. And somebody tells you, no, what are you going to say? Like if right. you haven't done your research, you can't be like, actually you're, you know, per your policy, I can. Right. You can't you're just gonna be like, oh, and then there go all your plans. And what happens, this is a very, already big day. It's already stressful. You're gonna, you're not gonna have time to like formulate another like coping, um, you know, a, a, a way of coping. You're just kind of gonna be like, well, okay. And then <laughs> yeah. your provider is gonna go in and gonna be like, I'm gonna break your water. I'm gonna do this. We're gonna do this. And in your mind, you're already so like thrown off that you're gonna be like, okay right, yeah let's do it I guess yeah. and then you're gonna look back on that day and be like what happened <laughs> mm-hmm. you know so another question is you know obviously you said sometimes moms a lot of times moms come in and they are uneducated um they you know just kind of show up and it's like hey here we are um so what would be like what would you tell moms to I mean, and obviously it's different if you want an unmedicated birth or an epidural, you may have different focuses. Um, but what's like the ideal patient that shows up on your doorstep? Like what has she educated herself on? Uh, maybe outside of like hospital policies, which is something we've talked about, but what other mm-hmm. things has she kind of equipped herself with where you're like, girl, you have done your research. <laughs> and like, I am just so happy that you like know what's going on off the top of my head coping mechanisms and augmentation methods. So augmentation is anything that's going to speed up your, um, your labor. So I've had some moms sometimes tell me like, you know, they're like six centimeters and they're like, they're like, they're, they're, you know, going away at those contractions and, and they're, they're not dieting and they're like, what's happened? They're like, can, can the doctor break my water? Mm, Love it. You know, exactly exactly what we need at this point. Like, kind of like that, like, okay, you know, you know, at certain points, like, okay, I can consent to this happening right now. Why? Because this is going to help me in this sense. Some people don't need their water broken in order Mm -hmm. to get to 10 centimeters. Some people get stuck. Sometimes their water gets broken and boom, baby, that's it. You're done. Right. Some people need a tiny little touch of Pitocin. Some people don't need Pitocin at all. So when uh, the, a patient comes in, a doctor's always going to try to augment a doctor's Mm. always going to try to hit you with the, all right, let's speed this up for you really quick. Let's not, you know, make this longer than it has to be. So if a mom goes, I understand that let's not do that yet. I'm like, I like it. I like it. You've done your research. You know, why not? Not why not yet. Um, but you're open to it. And of course, what did I say the first thing? I said augmentation method and, and coping. coping. Yep. <laughs> coping mechanisms. That's another thing because um, it's very easy. And I will say that was kind of my take on it the first time I had a baby. So no judgment, but it's very easy to say I'm getting an epidural. Like that's it. That's all I got to do. Because one, like I touched on labs, if your platelets come back to low, no CRNA is going to do your epidural what's going to happen? You're not going to have an epidural. What happens if you get to the hospital and your water breaks and you have that urge to push and you got to push mm-hmm. There's no <laughs> like, and we still have to push. It's not like you're just going to push out a baby in one grunt. Right. Like, right. I've seen it. It happens, but it's not common. <laughs> not happening unless you're one of the lucky one out of 10, 
who grunts out the baby, like, okay, we still need, you know, coping mechanisms during that pushing stage. Cause this is the hardest part and right. there's no pain relief right now. Right. Um, and stuff like that, or, you know, the CRNA or the anesthesiologist is busy in a C-section mm-hmm. and this patient is like, oh, I need to go, like, I need it now. And I'm just like, okay, no, we should, we should have done breathing exercises. We should have YouTube something before. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, cause even, <laughs> even if you're fully planning on getting it, I mean, you even have early labor before you get to the hospital. So, mm-hmm. I mean, before you can get it even admitted, like you are feeling contractions, like you've got to at least, you know, experience oh, some of some. it. Right. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, a lot of people just kind of are like, I need my epidural. I need it now. Like I'm feeling the first little aches of, of labor and I'm like, Oh, we have a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot more where that come, where that came from right, right. <laughs> oh god um okay so on that I feel like you kind of mentioned this earlier but and maybe we've kind of answered this but like what do you feel like moms get like tripped up on the most like is it something like that where since most moms want an epidural and then maybe they can't get it right away like where are like the the points where you see most moms run into like not trouble but um where they struggle and, you know, maybe with education beforehand, we could have handled that better. Well, I will say hunger and labor. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are not prepared to not eat anymore. And like, that's one of the biggest things that I love to tell anyone that's part of them. Like you eat before you get to the hospital, unless you're a C-section and you know, you're about to be a C-section, like right. your baby's bleached and your water broke and you're on your way to hospital. Like don't eat, definitely don't eat like that. Um, unless you're expecting to, you know, be a C-section, eat before you get to the hospital. Yeah. Why you are not going to eat? Like they that's something they will not let you. Like that's mm-hmm. a very big thing in a hospital. Even though I will say this, as far as research goes, I know that there is new research that has come out for anesthesia um in regards to like letting laboring women eat because the risk is of aspiration is so, so low. Now. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's actually, it's newer research hospital policies have not updated their, you know, they haven't been updated to this new research, but I have been um, seeing a lot of new information come out about letting moms eat during labor because it's just, you need it for like energy more yes. than starving, you know, like starving women during something that's like equivalent of running a marathon. Like, right you know, and the, on the off chance that they could aspirate, which is like such a tiny, tiny chance, but anyway. Um, well, and that's another thing too, where it's like, I mean, I understand, you know, the, so if, if people are listening to this and they have no idea what we're talking about, basically if you, God forbid, have to have a, a C-section where they put you fully under, right? Like general anesthesia, mm-hmm. you could ask, you could aspirate food up into your lungs, which would be very it's problematic. Like, I want to say it's like a 1% chance. Like I really don't quote me on this, but I really think that that's what the latest research shows now. It's like super, super tiny, but yes. And with everything else, it's like you, you can make your own choice. Right. But for some mm-hmm. reason, this policy, like you said, it's like, they really aren't yeah. like, there's no, I mean, unless you sneak it, I guess, like there's no, unless you cannot you get it. food. You're not allowed to have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was definitely sneaking some pretzels in. <laughs> well, actually not, not during my labor. Cause I usually don't want to eat. I'm like, I'm just so like focused. I don't want food, but afterwards, cause I had to be on magnesium and I had to be a whole nother 12 hours of not eating. Oh, I was just like, no. <laughs> every time we were alone in the room, I was like, pretzel, 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 pretzel. I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> I can uh, it's, it's very hard. Like, I mean, like I said, it's the equivalent of running a marathon and they're like, hi, no food, just, you know, here's some ice chips and 
my hospital is very good at um we're clears for everybody so it's just okay. popsicles juices um soda like um, like clear sodas um it we're very good on that so at least like you're we're leveling their blood sugar um, exactly yeah <laughs> like they're Somewhat. they have a little a little semblance of normalcy like with gatorade versus right. ice chips but a lot of hospitals are strictly Nothing. ice chips mm-hmm. yeah yeah well, hopefully we start to see that change or at least where they give you the option, you know, here are the risks. It's up to you. you yeah. Know, like, you hey, you, like just sign this paper right here. Like if right. you're okay with like possibly aspirating in case that you need to see suction, then okay. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you can. Um, so what would, now this might be like a big question, but um, especially for new moms who this is, you know, they're going to this experience. It's totally brand new. They've never done it before. What is like your, your biggest piece of advice as far as like the planning and the prep and like what to kind of get ready for before you show up for this huge day? Um, again, ad nauseum, but education. And I say that, and I mean, like, no, what labor is, you know, like know that there is something called early labor, which can last days, weeks. And it means that you're going to be contracting. It means that you're going to be uncomfortable. It means that you are going to think that you're in labor and you're going to be miserable. And guess what? Your cervix isn't dilating. So it's still not labor. Know that be prepared for that because it's such a big thing. Like we, um, we have a, and it happened to me again, no judgment. And it has happened to all my, my best friends and I, like my, my group of friends and I have all gotten together pregnant, like around the same, like, uh, years. Um, so it's always, we've always like said it to each other, like, you know, like, is, is this happening? Like what's right. going on? Yeah. Like, you know, should I go? My best friend, thankfully, uh, my best, best friend was a labor and delivery nurse when I had my first one. So she was always like, I'm in labor, like, Hey, I'm contracting like every three minutes, but like, they kind of go away. Um, I was a pediatric ER nurse still at the time with my okay. first. So like, I was still very like, not, I had no idea what labor was. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Hey, I'm like, you know, these contractions are like really, really uncomfortable. Like I can't even get up. Like she'd come over. She'd be like, do you want me to check you? I'm like, okay. Like, just so I don't have to go to the hospital. And she'd be like, you're not dilated. I'm like, so this is in labor. Like you're telling me I'm not in labor. Like, what is this? I was like so many times, like it happens, like your vaginal discharge in your third trimester is like quite Crazy. something. Yeah. And so you're like, did my water break? Am I peeing myself? Like, why are my pants wet all the time? And so like, I would have her like bring me like the nitrazine strips, which is what they test the, the, to see if it's the, your water I'm breaking. And I'm like, oh my God, my water's not broken. Like, what is this? Like, what is happening? Those are the last few weeks of pregnancy. And that is almost everybody. That is not just you. You are not alone in thinking the words, am I in labor or did my water break? Because I can guarantee you that every pregnant woman has thought that at least 20 times before labor happens. Yep. I can attest. <laughs> like, is it happening? Is it now? Like, or is it go time? Like, I don't know what's going on. And so like, as a first time mom, you're like going to the hospital every time. And you're like, right. they're telling you, no, you're not in labor. And you're like, <laughs> what do you mean yeah I'm done can I just be done <laughs> can I can you help me <laughs> like yeah. is there any I remember one of the times that I went to the hospital because I told my best friend I'm like no no for sure it's happening it's happening um one of the times I went to the hospital one of the doctors was like before he sent me home like I was in such a like state of shock and he's like do you want Tylenol and I'm like what <laughs> no <laughs> 
I'm in labor and you want to offer me Tylenol? Like, no, no. Um, so definitely that, um, you know, prepare yourself for what labor is, early labor. And what is active labor? You know, like mm-hmm. I always, always like tell all of my patients right before they hit active labor, right before I feel like they're going to get there because it can be such a like, and I know that you're going to know what I'm talking about. It can be such a shock when you hit that like active labor phase and it hits you like a truck. Like you start with the shakes and you start with the, yep. uh, and yep. the nausea and like, you're like, what's going on with my entire body. I'm so cold. I'm so right. nervous. I don't know why I'm shaking like a tree. Yeah. And like, I want to throw up, but I also want to lay down and I also want to sit up and I like, it hits you. Mm-hmm. It hit me as a labor nurse like I was like what's happening and my coworker who had asked to be my labor nurse she's like Lily it's happening I'm like oh I'm dying I don't know what's going on she's yeah like, you start to freak out yeah yeah that like transition phase like you can be calm as a cucumber but the thoughts it's just like it's you're like I can't do this I can't do this you get really panicky yeah yeah and but if, if you like know that that's normal process. then yeah yeah like it's it's part of a every woman goes through that every woman hits that transition phase and you go, I can't do this. Like, it's not just you. It's not, you know, just your, it's everyone's like, I can't do this. Like I can't. And it's like, we recognize it as nurses when a patient goes, I can't do this. We're like, Oh, (laughs) you're almost there. Um, <laughs> so definitely like be prepared for all of those different symptoms that you're going to feel like it's not just contractions it's not just like contractions epidural baby you know right if you're having an induction like know that this can take days like know mm-hmm. that this isn't going to be uh oh I'm going to the hospital have my baby and you come out you know five hours later with a baby it might be three days from now when you come out with the baby you know um so just educate yourself on the different medications too. Like you never know what's going to happen to you. So it's very common. Uh, this is something that I see also a lot is 37 weekers go to their appointment, like their regular scheduled appointment. And their doctor's like, Hey, your blood pressure is like super crazy high. Go to the hospital. They're 37 weeks. They're not expecting to have a baby and out of nowhere, they're being hit with like having a baby right now. Like we got to make this happen. And so what happens I have to do so much explaining as far as like the medication, what they can expect, the side effects, like what it entails, what's going to come after, how we're going to progress, what's going to happen if we don't progress. Like it's a very, so educate yourself, maybe just touch on slightly like medications or when you get there, just kind of maybe have your nurse explain a little bit more, but it's very um, important because they all work in different ways um you can also always advocate for yourself like you can always say hey doc why are we not doing that why are we doing this and not doing that and there's nothing wrong with that like absolutely nothing wrong you know you can always say hey let me pick your brain like why why are we doing that like or you know um in your experience what's the difference between this and that like you know, you can always pump their ego a little bit if you really feel that yeah. shy about it, because it's okay right. to feel shy about it. It, it can right. be intimidating. Like when I was a baby nurse, you know, like I would have to talk to doctors and be like, mm-hmm. like yeah. I'm so sorry to bother you, but I know. Yeah. Yeah. But like now it's become of like, Hey, let me pick your brain. Like, how come we're doing that and not this? And then for the most part, some will be like, Oh, you're right. Let's do that instead. And I'm like, mm. thank you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. doctors aren't, you know, like 
I mean, it seems intimidating, but they're not like these crazy intimidating, like it's, he's part of your team or she is part of your team. Like, right. They work with you. We work together. Like we come to a mutual conclusion of what we're going to do. So that's important. So it sounds to me like the keys are like, come in educated, both on like the physiological side of birth, like what is actually going to happen, start to finish all the phases, what you're going to feel like actually, actually educate yourself on that. Um, and then also educate yourself, especially if you're planning, even if you're not necessarily planning a hospital birth, like, cause that happened to me, I was planning a home birth. I ended up in the hospital. Like you never know birth is unpredictable. Um, but you know, educate yourself on what could ha- you know, happen in the hospital medications or interventions, augmentations they might use just so you have like the scope, but then also, you know, come in armed with education, but it sounds to me like, but also be ready to collaborate, you know, and not come in, you know, either I have no idea what's going on. So just do whatever. Or the other extreme would be, you know, I'm refusing all of these things for all of these reasons, and you're not going to change my mind. And I hired you. So you're going to listen to me like that's not going to work either. So you've got to have come armed with the education, but also be willing to see how things go and maybe change your mind. Yeah. And right. Be open-minded. Yeah. For sure. I completely, yes, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, if you're trying to go above and beyond coping mechanisms during labor, is also something really, really good to know different positionings in labor. Like, um, I like to tell my patients when they haven't done the research and I've already done so much education and I have to like do other things. I'm like, listen, like you do what feels right for you because intuitively our body will move to the way that, um, the baby needs to engage in the pelvis. Like our body, like if we're rocking side, like if I see my patient rocking side to side on a, on a ball, I'll know that that baby needs that side to side motion in order to To wiggle down. Yeah. Yeah. No, some people will do like the back and forth and that's what they need. Like your body intuitively does this during labor. So if I don't have time to like say, Hey, um, you know, like, let me check you and like let's see where baby is so that we can like do different like stretches or whatever um if I can do that I'm like move how you feel like is calming to you because that's what baby's gonna need right now so if you want to do your research and as far as like helping baby engage better with certain uh, exercises like you know if you know that you're not getting an epidural right away come armed with that come prepared our hospital thankfully has so much resources we have like qr codes like scannable qr codes all over the room so like you That's have awesome. like things that you can do super super awesome like we have like a picture guide with like the peanut ball so even if your nurse is in the room i literally like throw them that like thing and i'm like read it here go like yeah. i have stuff to do but i'll be back <laughs> like yeah. you know like i'll come back let me know what position you you, you want to pick like right um, so a lot of hospitals don't have those resources, unfortunately. So do your research come like, you know, with screenshots, you can like look through Instagram and like find different things, um, take screenshots, put them in a folder when you get to the hospital. Hey, okay. Like, you know, grab your partner. Let's do this. Like, let's do the, um, the tuck, like the yep. lift and tuck. Right, right. Let's do all of these. Why? Because these little movements are preparing your body for a shorter labor. Like you're getting your, your body ready and not laying down in bed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something good to, uh, come prepared with if that's, you know, like that's your, your labor process, how you're, you're going to want it to go, um, ways to push, um, like breathing, breathing, that's going to help you while pushing. Um, if you haven't, if you're choosing to have an epidural, like, you know, maybe like do a little bit of uh, research on how to effectively push even though you can't feel anything to not tear. Mm. Um, I know there's lots of like classes. Um, 
out there that you can you can do as far as like pushing also um and then yeah and just be also <laughs> prepared there's so much knowledge that we just need to like it's it's crazy how much like we're th- like like you have no idea but it's like you need to know all of these things right, like right be prepared for postpartum like that's the Yo, biggest thing yeah Yep. That's, that's such a, such a big, big thing. Like, oh my gosh. Like sometimes I'll be checking patients, like after they deliver and I'm like checking their fundus, um, which is something that we do in order to just make sure that there's no bleeding um, right, it's going like, back it's down. happening. And they're like, Oh, I feel something come out. And I'm like, we're going to bleed for a while. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know if you didn't know this, but we're going to be doing this. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, more. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, there's going to be clots. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like your period is back with a revenge. Yeah. Your period oh, yeah. Is like, Remember how you didn't see me for nine months. Yeah. <laughs> going to make up for lost time. Yeah. I'm back baby. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Like all the postpartum things definitely like, you know, read, um, you know, don't scare yourself. That's not necessary. Like everyone's right. birth experience is definitely different. Um, it's very easy to get scared. Um, I can, I can say that a lot of it sounds scarier than it actually is going through it. Like I remember, um, when I was like reading about it, like episiotomies and stuff, like I had mm-hmm. an episiotomy with my first child, the recovery sucked, but it yeah. wasn't like something that I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't handle this. You know what I mean? And like right. I said, I know everybody's experience is different, but for me, at least mentally, that was such a, like, it was bigger mentally for me than it actually was physically going through it. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, yes, this absolutely sucks. But like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Like, I'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. I'll be fine. Like yeah. we'll get over. Um, mentally I was like, oh my gosh, like, how do you recover from that? Like how, like, it was like this anxiety, like spiral that I would right. go down and it's like actually going through it. I was like ugh, annoying, but okay, let's do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, well, that is all fantastic advice. I do have one final, this is kind of like a fun question. Okay. <laughs> so I know a lot of times moms, when they come to the hospital, um, I felt so bad because I was like a hospital transfer. So I did not get to do this last time, but <laughs> they'll bring like a little like gift basket or, you know, like set, like coffee gift card or, you know, something for mm-hmm. their nurses as like a thank you. Um, and to any mom out there who's planning a hospital birth, I highly recommend this because you're labor and delivery nurses really will become your best friends <laughs> and you will want to be like showering them with gifts <laughs> and obviously, you know, within your means, but as a nurse, I would love to know, like, what are, like, what do you guys really want to get? <laughs> Gosh. Okay. So I will tell you snacks are like the biggest hit. Okay. Like All everyone right. always been, roommate has snacks, roommate has snacks. Oh, okay. Roommate has snacks. And we're like, okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like, you know, we're like really grateful for snacks snacks are a huge hit and that's, you know, cost effective, nothing, nothing crazy. I do like the occasional, um, like target gift card, Starbucks gift card. Like I one time had a, I had a patient, what was it? Like a um, massage envy. That's what it was. Like a little massage. And I was like, oh, this is the (laughs) best thing I've ever gotten from a patient for sure. That's amazing. This is worth it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was nice, but definitely snacks are like the biggest hit. Like okay. snacks, coffee, like the little Starbucks. Oh my gosh, we have so many patients that bring us the little Starbucks. Um, the little the little glass jars from like Costco. Oh, stuff. like the frappuccino, the mm-hmm. pre-made. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. The little like six that. pack, they'll put it in yes. the basket and oh my gosh, those things fly. We're like <laughs> Oh, all right, all right. Taking notes, taking notes. Snacks <laughs> and coffee. I think that's a lo- like a, a labor nurse's love language for sure. 
Okay. Snacks and coffee done. Got it. So thank you so much, Lily, for coming on. I feel like this was so helpful. I learned a lot, even though I've even, I've had a hospital birth, but, um, you know, with going into birth, like you spend so much time picking your, your birth team, your doctor, your, your midwife, maybe you're hiring a doula, you figure out who you want to be there as far as like relatives and spouse and, but you don't get to pick your labor nurse and they're probably the biggest part, honestly, outside of maybe like your partner or spouse or whoever. Um, and I just love that I was able to hear from your perspective and kind of get a better, especially for new moms who this is all a new experience for them, kind of knowing what to expect from their nurses, right. And to have the right expectations going in. Um, so please tell us where everyone can find you about your, you know, your Instagram, your podcast, um, so that they can come find you and continue to hear your knowledge. Of course. Thank you so much. So I am on Instagram. I'm labor nurse, Lily, all one word. Um, I'm also on Facebook and my podcast is on Spotify and Apple podcasts and Google podcasts. It's called birth like a boss. So birth, like you like past tense birth, like a boss. (laughs) Um, I'll also put it in the show notes as well. Links and everything. Yeah. And I try to have just, you know, like birth stories, have people over. Like I recently had a midwife and I had an OB. I had a lactation consultant. We're having more birth stories this week. So yeah. Yay. I love it. Okay. So make sure to go follow Lily and check out um, her podcast is awesome. She's got some really, really good stuff on there. And I'm sure after hearing this episode, you're going to want to hear more from her because I don't know. I like, I like your perspective on things. I feel like you're so bubbly and fun to listen to. So thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate it. No, I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Okay. You guys, I hope you love that interview just as much as I did. Lily is just, she is just so full of life and so full of knowledge. And I just loved kind of getting her insight and perspective And just being able to pick her brain, Um, she obviously, this is her job. She sees a lot of birth and I really hope that you guys were able to glean some kind of nuggets of info from her um, just as much as I did. So make sure to follow her on Instagram. She's labor nurse Lily and she shares a lot of this kind of information. So, so many good tips um, when it comes to, you know, going into labor and what to expect. And, you know, she's all about like, you know, just informed consent and like actually being educated on your decisions so that you can make the best decisions for you. And I also just loved how we kind of talked about, you know, understanding how to work with doctors and nurses and the policies and to this whole like kind of meet in the middle situation. I think it's really good to go in with that perspective, um, especially, you know, if you're like me, where you really do want this like unmedicated kind of untouched as much as possible intervention free birth, because, you know, you are going into a place where interventions are the norm. Um, and that can be a little bit of a tough position to be in. So I, I think as much as it's good to be determined and armed with education and information and knowing like your rights and that you can decline and you can, you know, you can, do all of these things. I think that that's super important because you have to be able to like advocate for yourself and stick to your guns a bit. Um, if that's really what you want in the setting, that's not really set up so much for that, but it is also important to remember that you are in this environment and you know, there might have to be some give and take. And, um, I just think it's a really good reminder. Um, 
so yeah so I'm, i just hope that you guys enjoyed this interview make sure to follow her on instagram and then also she has her own podcast she recently started as well um birthed like a boss i will link both of these down below so that you can um continue to follow her and just glean her knowledge um and i just think that she's super awesome so i hope that you guys again enjoy that interview but that is all i have for this episode i know it was a long one but i hope you thoroughly enjoyed it um and i will be back next week to share with you guys uh as we're getting close to the end of this pregnancy and the home stretch i'm so excited i like kind of can't believe we're here and then i also feel like i've been pregnant for a million years so um anyway thank you guys so much for listening and i will talk to you soon bye